0: You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. This podcast is brought to you in association with BHA Medical. BHA Medical source, supply and implement innovative medical technology and solutions across the globe. BHA's latest innovation is Monkeypox Lateral Flow Rapid Antigen Test. This product is a lateral flow detection of monkeypox virus, antigen in human whole blood, serum, plasma, rash exudate, or nasal swab. The product uses double antibody sandwich method during which the specimen is dropped into the specimen hole and very much like uh, the COVID-19 specimen test, a color banding will appear in the test area uh, indicating a positive result or the absence of color banding in the test area will indicate a negative result. So please see the show notes for further details on how to order a kit online. So welcome back to the podcast with myself, and Walker. In this session, we're looking at the monkeypox virus with Professor Kalichi Noham. Kalichi is no stranger to the podcast and joined me recently regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Kalichi is the Executive Director of Public Health and the Lead for Research and Development, Innovation and Value-Based Health for the Health Board Wales. He has held an honorary professorship in public health and epidemiology at Plymouth University since 2015 and Cardiff University Medical School. He's also been the director of public health for Plymouth and Bristol City Council, and he's worked throughout leadership roles in public health um, across the UK. Kalichi has got a fantastic wide-ranging perspective on the topic, and what we do is really dig into uh, the anatomy of the virus, That we also look at the possibility of local transmission and the global transmission of the virus we look at the origins of the current outbreak we discuss the symptomatology we look at the transmission pathway and we look at the r naught rates case fatality rates containment and potential of ring vaccination, uh, we look at some of the surveillance for monkeypox virus, we look at some of the existing mechanisms from COVID-19 that overmap and overlay uh, into uh, monkeypox virus, we look at whether we should be worried um, about this current outbreak and then we get some final thoughts from Kalichi. Please do enjoy this wide-ranging episode with a fantastic guest. So welcome back to the podcast Kalichi.
1: Thank you and really delighted to be back here.
0: It's fantastic to have you back on, and uh, just to pick your brains and to really um, dig into what your experiences have been like recently. Actually, so um, without further ado, sort of Kalichi, from your perspective, can we just maybe just review uh, what is known about monkey po- the monkeypox virus, and what are the current thoughts on its sort of zoonotic origins of disease? Okay.
1: So we know that monkeypox virus was first isolated and and identified in 1958, when number of laboratory monkeys that, that were being shipped, shipped from Singapore to a research facility in Denmark fell ill. So that was the first time the, the virus was actually isolated from, from monkeys. However, the first confirmed human case was actually in 1970, When the virus was isolated from a child in the Democratic Republic of Congo who was actually suspected to have smallpox but it turned out what they actually had was monkeypox so the isolation from lab monkeys is actually what explains the origin of the name but in reality the actual reservoirs of monkeypox are rodents so mice rats squirrels we also know that immunity to monkeypox was previously achieved with the smallpox vaccine vaccination but we know that and we think that the eradication of smallpox and the subsequent lack of vaccination efforts have paved the way for monkeypox to gain clinical relevance interestingly in in late in the late 80s and early 90s scientists from London were actually regularly writing and predicting that the that outbreaks from monkeypox will over time increase in frequency and volume So you could almost go back several years and and suggest that um, scientists saw this coming. Um, And and part of that is we stopped the monkeypox vaccination, the global monkeypox vaccination. So the herd immunity globally that we enjoyed from, from that vaccination over time became, suffered some degree of attrition. So, and that's partly one of the reasons why we're here where we are today. We also know that, and this is really important, that there are two genetically distinct clades. Clades are like, um, how do I describe them? But they're like ancestries. So there are two distinct ancestries of monkeypox that have been identified. The one clade is is the Central African or Congo Basin one that is reported more frequently and actually has a higher case fatality rate of somewhere about three to six percent. And then there's the West African clade that is much less frequently documented um, and and up until now had not seen any degree of human to human transmission. And interestingly, it is the West African clade, which is much lower case fatality rates of about 0.6%, much milder than the Congo Basin one. That appears to be the one that is driving the outbreaks that we're seeing outside of Western Central Africa right now. So so we know that before the current international outbreak that we used to have sporadic clusters and cases of human uh, monkeypox that have occurred outside of Africa. One of the most popular ones, if you remember, was in 2003 when when Gambian giant rats that were imported from Ghana uh, were cohabiting with prairie dogs that were sold as household pets somewhere in Midwestern United States. And actually that resulted in an outbreak that recorded 53 human cases of monkeypox. And we've got you know, those sporadic outbra- you know, cases here and there, but it's only until now that we've had the sort of sustained case that we've seen in, in, in the recent weeks. Finally, I'll just add that a number of factors, uh, including inc- increased global travel, as well as climate change, they've accelerated the emergence and the spread of viruses. The world is just much more alert to new outbreaks of any kind in the wake of a COVID pandemic, as we were musing earlier. um, But with this current monkeypox outbreak, it's very hard to look past the role of the international trade in exotic pets, as well as international travel.
0: So that's profound in an, on a number of levels, actually, um, because, like you said, not only the interconnected nature of travel, but the but the trade of of, of animals uh, has, has has also contributed. Uh, Kalichi, as we're sort of seeing cases pop up over Europe, Africa, and Australia and Canada and elsewhere on a daily basis. Uh, Similar to, as an analog of the COVID pandemic, you know the the true um, cases reported. Are you are you, are you worried that, that sort of the true prevalence is is actually a lot greater than what what's being reported in the news or indeed in scientific papers?
1: It, it, uh, it's nuanced, and, and I'll explain that. So, so you're right in the sense um, of the numbers of cases that were so as of second June there were well over seven hundred laboratory confirmed cases of monkeypox reported across several countries. About 30 different countries now have reported in the UK. More specifically, we've had about 302 confirmed cases as of yesterday, the 5th of June, 287 cases in England, 10 in Scotland, two in Northern Ireland and three here in Wales, where I am. Uh, Prior to this, this uh, current outbreak, most cases of monkeypox, uh, as we said earlier, occurred in rural Central and 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 Western Africa, and the role of suspected underreporting cannot be overemphasized because of the areas where we had previously had monkeypox not having very solid surveillance. So there will be some elements of reporting underreporting um, um, when 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 that is concerned. So in a sense, there there is a nuance to this one. I think. Whatever global incidents of of um, monkeypox that have been reported before the current episodes would expectedly represent underreporting for the reason that I articulated earlier, and would thus, in my view, I think that would reflected a tip of the iceberg. But when it comes to the current cases associated with the current uh, outbreak, I would suggest that increased awareness and more representative reporting and perhaps stronger systems of surveillance in many of the countries that are being affected in cent- outside of Central and West Africa would all probably suggest that the current numbers in the current outbreak are more likely to reflect reality. So yes, there's a nuance when you if you think about pre-current episodes, yes, it will probably represent a tip of the iceberg, but if you restricted it to the current numbers of just because of the increased awareness and the stronger systems of surveillance. I would expect that it would approximate the true the the reality more than previously reported numbers.
0: So we'll talk about surveillance actually in 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 a second and and how you are approaching surveillance within Wales and maybe some of the existing mechanisms from COVID-19 and so because it would be interesting to to know. But before we get there can we just look at the anatomy of the of the virus for a minute? Um we we know it's sort of double-stranded DNA virus, so slightly more stable than an RNA virus. um does it does that sort of that stability show sort of it less it, to be less prone to mutation within the community, colle?
1: So this is an interesting one. So um probably best to start from the classification of the virus as we will refer to some of those terminologies again. So um the monkey virus is a species of viruses that belong to the genus. Um, orthopox viruses, and to the family Poxviridae. Now, the, the monkeypox virus is relatively large. Some would say it's probably about 200 to 250 um, nanometers, so it's a relatively large virus. The pox viruses, uh, the, the family of pox viruses, are brick shaped. They are surrounded by a lipoprotein envelope, and like you said, a linear double stranded DNA genome. Now, apart from their Reliance on the host ribosomes for, for messenger RNA uh, translation. POX viruses generally include all this kind of self-sufficient viruses. They have all the necessary replication, transcription, assembly, and egress proteins in their genome. So you're, you're right generally that DNA viruses like this POX viruses, particularly those with big genomes like this are generally um, unlikely to accrue much mutations. And when they do, they do that rather slowly, unlike the typical RNA virus like SARS-CoV-2 that cause the COVID virus that are very, very likely to mutate quite quickly. So with with monkeypox virus, you would expect few mutations. Having said this, what we are observing as scientists around the world, as they are able to sequence the genomes from this current outbreak and share the data, there is a there is a sense that is emerging that the numbers of mutations that they're actually seeing are way more than you would expect for such a virus. So, for example, um, there are about over 40 mutations um, that the current viruses from this outbreak have acquired that distinguish them from previous viruses associated with other clusters from 2018. So over a four year period, scientists would say you wouldn't expect you would expect a certain number of mutations, not 40, not over 40 mutations. Those are the sort of mutations you would expect over a 50 year period, not a four year period. So that has had some scientists worry about the the unusual number of mutations that we've seen. But there are other hypotheses which I'm more inclined to believe. At this point, the hypothesis and the the truth is emerging. And at this point, in spite of those numbers of mutations, some some people are some people are cautioning that doesn't necessarily signal something bad like increased infective infectivity. Indeed, some some think that There may be other explanations to those mutations, principally the role of key enzymes in the host immune system in inducing mutations in those viruses as a defensive mechanism. So like someone described it, it's almost like you have an enemy who has a typewriter and you go in and you um, reorder the keys on their typewriter so that they're not able to get out the message. So what sometimes the hosts, hosts like humans have enzymes that when they come into contact with viruses, those enzymes have a responsibility to induce mutations in those viruses as a way of preventing those viruses from establishing. Some of those obviously would escape those defensive mechanisms, but even though they've escaped the defensive mechanisms, they still carry that imprint and so there is a suggestion that 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 is what has happened to the monkeypox virus over time. So those mutations may not necessarily signal that the virus is is, is about to run away from us. I hope that is true. But uh, as of this point, to be honest, no one knows for sure. We're just going to keep an eye on this one.
0: As you, as you were saying offline, actually, there's a lot of pressure on the system, and indeed probably on yourself and your team, to get this right, because you, you, um, within the UK, in the last few years, we had this, this runaway COVID pandemic, which you know I remember treating COVID patients in January and February of 2000, and just simply with gloves because there wasn't the PPE mechanisms, and it was in the community. The prevalence was it was 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 definitely. Um, a lot more than the reported numbers from laboratory cases. Um, so I can imagine there's a lot more pressure this time on yourself, indeed, to to, to get it right. Absolutely. So Kalichi, just looking at the symptomatology, uh, to, so that being similar of chickenpox, yet yet looking at sort of the addition of maybe more profound vesicular rash uh, to the to the skin. Do the patient, Would it be right in thinking the patients aren't infectious until the appearance of these skin lesions? It,
1: it, yeah, yes, and and um, broadly. So let me dwell a little bit on this one, Ian, if you don't if you don't mind, because um, um, the, the there's a lot we can take from the history um, to give us a sense of whether. What we're looking at is possibly monkeypox or not but the real clean um, chair for want of a better word is actually in the clinical presentation so you you, you might remember when when, when we were in medical school we we're used to using mnemonics for all sorts of things and one popular one uh, was the number of mnemonics we used to distinguish centripetal rashes from centrifugal rashes So if you remember centripetal rashes, there was this um, red rashes scare parents very much. So centripetal rashes are those ones that tend to concentrate on the trunk. So rubella, uh, um, 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 scarlet fever, uh, parvovirus, B19, so erythema infectiosum. So these are typical centripetal rashes. Whereas you have the centrifugal ones that tend to concentrate on the extremities rather than on the trunk, so you get your coxsackie viruses and monkeypox viruses. Actually, they kind of create more centrifugal rashes, which is different from the chickenpox rash that tends to be more um, cent- centripetal. So that's one clear distinguishing. So the, although they cause rashes, the pattern of the rashes with monkeypox are very different. From the pattern of the rashes with chickenpox, so one is more on the trunk, one the other is more on the on the, um, on the extremities. But the transmission of monkeypox virus, um, as as you know, is through contact with bodily fluids, skin lesions, respiratory droplets, um, and and human to human transmission, as we know, uh, before now has been limited um but despite that we know that there is there are some mathematical models that have been previously published that actually suggested as i said with the, with the london scientists as far back as the late 80s and early 90s predicting that over time as global herd immunity to orthopox viruses reduces because of the stoppage of the smallpox global vaccination you will create a greater pool of vulnerable people over time and monkeypox will become more more significant, even though it's a much milder infection. So what happens is following uh, entry from any route, the virus replicates at the inoculation site, and then it spreads to the local lymph nodes. Um, It it is at at this point that it spreads to the local lymph nodes. You get what you call your initial viremia. So the virus then spreads and seeds um, other organs. And that usually happens during the incubation period that lasts typically between seven to 14 days, but can get to an upper limit of 21 days. Now, the onset of symptoms, however, correlates with a period of secondary viremia. So this time the the virus then goes into the the blood um, and that's when the symptom onsets. You, You get this prodromal symptoms of fever and lymphadenopathy before the lesions appear. The the infectious period is from that appearance of symptoms up until the crusting of the skin lesions. So and that's when patients are usually infectious during that period. So and the lesions will usually start from the oropharynx and then they will appear on the skin. Um And so clinically, what you're looking for is historical cues, but more than those historical cues in terms of travel history, for example, um, intimate interaction or looking after someone who has been diagnosed with. It's the clinical features that really, really give give away uh, monkeypox. So like I said, those initial symptoms include fever, headache, myalgia, fatigue, lymphadenopathy. After one or two days, you then get the mucosal lesions develop in the mouth followed by the ones that appear on the skin, mainly in the face and extremities. So it's the typical centrifugal rash, face and extremities. And and the rash may or may not sometimes spread to the rest of the body. And then finally, over the next sort of two to four weeks, what happens is that the lesions classically evolve in a very, very predictable way. So they go from this macular to papular to vesicular and then pustular phases, and they do that quite synchronously. Uh, across 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 the body and and then the crusts would form and discomate over the subsequent 7 to 14 days and by the time the the crusts have completely discomated that's when the individual stops being infectious so the infectious period is from that onset of symptoms to the complete discommation of the skin rashes
0: so from initial modelling, it looks like the R naught of monkeypox virus is low, sort of below one, whereas the R naught of smallpox is in the region of 3.6 to six. Could you maybe unpack, Kalichi, why it's a lot le- dramatically a lot less, with monkeypox virus?
1: So, and and the, and the and the key here is in is in um, the fact that although they belong to the same family. They are fundamentally um, uh, different viruses. And then even when you think about the monkeypox um, virus, the monkeypox virus, as I said earlier, has two, um, two distinct clades, um, the Congo Basin one and the West African one. And they do have very different transmissibilities, very different case fatality rates. We are so- somewhat kind of fortunate that the current outbreak is being driven by the um, less transmissible, milder, West African strain, and not the Congo strain, that we do know has a three to six percent case fatality rate. So there is something about the way it is transmitted. It is, it is, um, it, it it does require direct contact for for transmission, and just generally being a milder virus, and two very different clades where we're currently facing the less less virulent of the two different clades so we have a a a virus here that is fundamentally different from from smallpox and the other thing to mention is that when we had smallpox um, um, across the world um, there wasn't um, global immunity to smallpox so it was until the vaccinia vaccination came in that over time the global vaccination built um, global herd immunity so and remember, we can only say how transmissible a virus is in real life. So when you have a virus transmitting against the context of a generally non immune population, it, its its transmissibility and R value will be a lot higher. I think we're dealing with this currently dealing with a, a, a virus that is less transmissible but that has happened against a significant degree of global herd immunity so when you put all of those factors together you can understand why the small the, the monkeypox has a much lower uh, r than than small than the smallpox
0: so looking at the so you talked about the case fatality rate for monkeypox virus being um, dramatically less than even did indeed, indeed smallpox. Could you maybe just speak to the the data which is coming through around men who have sex with men? Is that is that a red heron around the established transmission pathway for monkeypox virus?
1: It could it could very easily be a red herring, and and this is the reason why I say it's a uh, it could easily be a red herring. It could be a red herring if it gives the impression that monkeypox is sexually transmitted because of course it is not sexually it's not a sexually transmitted infection it is an infection that is transmitted in the context of intimate because it's a direct um um, transmission routes so anything that involves intimate physical contact would would obviously um uh, attend some degree of transmission. So what has simply happened here is that a number of the cases, the majority of the cases so far have been in men who have sex with men, but it's not necessarily because it has been translated, transmitted through a sexual route. So to that extent, it, it could be a destruction. Um, but we do know that that has happened because of the nature of the, the way it is transmitted. It is direct um, or, or transmission through formite. So for example, if an infected person has laid on a on a bed, for example, and the linens are not changed, then contact with the linens would cause transmission inevitably to the next individual. So I think it could be a herring, but a red herring, but I do think that there's been sufficient, hopefully there's been sufficient explanation out there in the public space that people can understand that whilst it is transmitted in that setting, that does not necessarily make it a sexually transmitted infection.
0: So looking at sort of the surveillance of monkeypox within, within Wales, Kalichi, how have you, how have you been achieving surveillance on a local and or national level really?
1: So, so like I said, I think, I think one, one, one good thing, if you like, that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, depending on how you look at it, that came out of COVID is a heightened awareness. And a sense that um, maybe we went in a little bit too late with COVID and, and that desire, to go all guns blazing monkey and monkeypox. And, and that's exactly what has happened. So, and thankfully we've been able to leverage some of the approach to surveillance that we perfected and honed, if you like, during COVID to do this. So actually the surveillance has been very good. So um, uh, the systems of testing are, are available. And because in a way it's not, it's not like COVID that that ran away quite quickly because it is a you know droplets or airborne infection. This is something that is because of the way it is transmitted. You are likely to get fewer cases over time than we had with COVID. So that's given the ability for surveillance systems to respond very very quickly. So we do have very strong systems of surveillance that are based on very clear pathways. Presentation is likely to happen through um, sexual health clinics currently just because of the majority of the demographic that has been affected so far so once cases or suspected cases come in they are tested and the testing mechanisms that mean we sample very quickly get the samples to the lab get the results out back to the clinical environment all of those interactions have been refined and honed during COVID and that's given us something to fall back on very quickly to ensure that we've got very solid systems of surveillance for monkeypox.
0: So looking at the existing mechanisms as as you said and indeed looking at, PC, at PCR testing, so um, RT-PCR testing, would you say, is there any utility in, because again, or obviously maybe different viral profiles, but, but viruses nonetheless, Would the PCR testing that we've used for COVID be utilised or of utility in monkeypox virus?
1: The thing about, yeah, yes. I mean, the thing about monkeypox, monkeypox infection can be confirmed either via uh, isolation in viral culture or you can use PCR um, for, for, for monkeypox DNA. Now, obviously, um, because PCR is polymerase chain reaction, so it will be specific to the specific virus. So you, you're not going to be able to use the same um, PCR tests, if you like, that you used for COVID to diagnose because you're talking about very different viruses. But the technology is exactly the same um so you can use the same PCR technology for 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 monkey for monkeypox um so again whether that is a function of we we learned so much um uh, from 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 the diagnosis or from covid and we're applying that now with monkeypox um, that that that's a, in a sense that's exactly what what we're doing but the technology is the same the difference um, applications would would differ in, in just because we are talking about a, a completely um, different virus. Um, it, it, it tests indicate the presence of uh, of, um, of an orthopox virus in a patient um, uh, sufficiently diagnostic. So in this case, what well, well, like I said, what we're doing is PCR tests or or viral culture. But whichever we're currently doing is giving us really good response times that mean that effective interventions, because as you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about the vaccination. We we need to get vaccines out within four days of 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 an hour, because the ring ring vaccination approach really depends on how quickly you're able to stamp out the spread of the of the virus. So that ultimately depends on how quickly we're able to turn around the testing. And so far that has been happening very effectively and
0: quickly. So let's talk about vaccination, actually, Kidditchi, because that's maybe the sort of the, the seminal point, um, which we can abruptly stop or or delay or slow the, the transmission. But so, you know, there's been postulation around ringing, ring vaccination of those exposed in current cases within the US. Could you could you maybe speak to vaccination strategies and indeed, your thoughts around vaccination maybe ahead of time before before it it starts to gain gain traction
1: yeah so so the the ring vaccination strategy i think is an excellent strategy given where we are at some points the ring vaccination strategy becomes nonsensical and i'll describe when it becomes nonsensical and and nonsensical not that anyone would suggest it when we get to that point but this is but at this stage it makes a lot of sense so essentially um the we don't have a monkeypox specific vaccine what we're using is the smallpox vaccine so um when the global vaccination with smallpox stopped um different countries obviously kept stockpiles and that's as the americans would say they've got enough smallpox vaccine to vaccinate everyone in america and so it's the smallpox vaccination where vaccines were using why do they walk? They walk because of what I said earlier that the smallpox and uh, monkeypox belong to the same family. So there's cross protection, um, 80% protection against monkey par- monkeypox with the smallpox. So the, the vaccine is available. Um, the quantities of the vaccine as you can imagine would vary from country to country America may have more than enough but that probably won't be the case for every other country so with the ring vaccination strategy really what you're trying to do is that you're trying to identify very quickly a case once you identify a case you identify the contacts of that case um, because the contacts of that case would have would be your next cases because like we said earlier, the a case is infectious from the points that symptoms appear up until the point that the, the, the lesions crossed. So during that period, anyone who's made contact with that case is a contact. You identify those contacts and proactively vaccinate them. Some go toward, go as far as the next ring of that ring and actually identify the contacts of the contacts. And, and vaccinate the contacts of the contacts. And that's the idea of ring vaccination. Identify contacts and possibly contacts of contacts, vaccinate them and stamp out the transmission of the virus. It is an incredibly effective, if resource um, demanding, but incredibly effective way of stamping out um, the, the, tra- the transmission when the numbers are manageable. At some points, if the strategy fails, and you've got established community transmission at very high levels, then ring vaccination will then become an inappropriate strategy. But at this point, it does make um, a lot of sense where the where we are in the UK, I think there's a there's the thinking about how do we if we have a lot of presentations in if majority of the presentations are in sexual health clinics, then the strategy should be proactively vaccinating healthcare staff who work in sexual health clinics and that is the current um, approach because the the availability of the vaccines are limited so you want to make sure that you're using them to the most likely so pre-exposure prophylaxis is currently targeted at healthcare staff in sexual health clinics
0: so Kalichi looking at um, the numbers and looking at the current um reports from the from the labs is there any uh, evidence for concern at the moment to your mind
1: so i think i think um the the post-covid the benchmark for need to worry has got to be COVID. so any new infectious disease that causes any major significant outbreaks or potential pandemics now i think inevitably what we'll do is benchmark them against COVID and go, if they are anything like COVID, then you've got every reason to worry. And if they are not anything like COVID, then I think you should temper your worry. Um, and with monkeypox, I am in that place, as 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 would many people be, where I really don't have much to worry about monkeypox. And the reasons I say that's a fundamentally different virus, um, the one uh, that is currently causing the outbreaks is the, even the milder one of a generally mild virus, so with very low case fatality, um, and the patterns of spread right now are well understood and it is predictable. This is not um, your your COVID um, sort of infection that is spread by 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 you know droplets or uh, principally by air, air, airborne or droplets. So actually. When you look at it, the only reason why we are putting a lot of efforts in the early response is that it makes sense to try to stamp out transmission. And actually, we learned lessons from COVID that mean we don't want to repeat the same mistakes. So but when I stand back from all of that, do I have a lot to worry about? Do I have reasons to worry? And I would say no. But that does not mean we should be complacent.
0: I think that's an excellent point and, and, and almost a... A, an aggressive approach or indeed a uh, a pr- progressive approach to um to vaccination strategies and or maybe um track and trace strategies so that so there's a there's a a, almost a high resolution idea of where the um where the virus is mapping where it's showing um is, is is prudent because like you said you almost want to have increased surveillance to then be able to communicate the the next steps and indeed the next steps on the protocol that you that you were just just speaking of um, could I just get you to, as we're coming into land on the conversation, Kalichi, um A couple of things, really. I'd, I'd just like you to speak to take-home messages, if, there, if, if, if if possible, as to any succinct take-homes you'd just like the listeners to uh, to remember over, over over sort of the last hour or so.
1: So the the, the two key messages for me, uh, when we reflect on where we are with monkeypox viruses, we've just uh, barely come out or coming out of a, a very difficult pandemic um, caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the COVID pandemic. I think it's important to reassure the public that monkeypox virus is not and is not another pandemic in the making. Um, there are no signals that that is likely to happen. So would want to give that assurance to members of the public that this is a relatively mild infection. Um, we having said that it is unusual for this infection to be spreading the way it is doing right now outside of central and West African areas where it has been endemic for many years. So the fact that it's left those areas to spread now in in 30 different countries that have previously not had it as such is enough cost for concern. Having said that, we understand why it is spreading and just as for any global citizen we would want to use the opportunity to draw attention to the importance of everyone being responsible when it comes to transferring or carrying pets, particularly exotic pets, across international boundaries. Uh, Whilst there may be a lot of interest in doing that, these things are not entirely risk-free. So um, I would just encourage anyone who is involved in the international movements of pets across boundaries um, to think about some of the consequences that we may be picking up, such as the current outbreak. But in spite of all of that, um, I hope people can feel reassured that this is not another pandemic in the making and it's generally a mild infection.
0: Khalichi, listen, that's fantastic and a fantastic place to leave the conversation. I just want to thank you for the last 45 uh, minutes and just uh, your reflections and uh, and also just some of your um, anecdotal perspectives. So thank you, Khalichi.
1: Thank you, Ern. My pleasure.
0: You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.